We learned a couple of Mishnahs ago that from the 25th of Adar onwards until the beginning of Nisan, a few days later, anybody who had not yet given their half-shekel contribution, the basin would send messengers to take a collateral, to take one of their possessions until they give their half-shekel piece. Now we learned that since women, non-Jewish slaves, and children are not obligated to give the half-shekel, it follows that obviously they would not take collateral from these people because they are not obligated to give the half-shekel in the first place. However, says the Mishnah, Afopisha Omru, even though the Chachom said a couple of Mishnahs ago that that they do not take collateral, they do not take any of the possessions of women, non-Jewish slaves, or children, there's a discussion whether children refers to somebody who is under the age of Bar Mitzvah, or even somebody who is under the age of 20, be as it may, says the Mishnah, im shoklu, if they did give a half-shekel piece, then we accept it from their hands, and it goes together with everybody else's half-shekel. The point of the Mishnah is that we do not suspect that they took it without their husband's permission, or their master, or their father's permission, and even if they did perhaps take it without his permission, we assume that the real owner of that money doesn't really mind, because it's such a small, insignificant amount of money, and therefore he would receive that half-shekel even from these people. On the other hand, Hanochri, non-Juva, Hakusi, a member of the nation of Kusim, which was a large group of people who converted en masse to become Jewish, but their conversion was never really truly a full conversion. Ultimately, it was found that they still worshipped idols. But for a very long period of time, it was sort of a doubt as to what exactly their Jewish status was. But the Mishnah says that if either a non-Jew or a Kusi contributed a shekel, according to this Mishnah, the Kusi was viewed as a non-Jew, Says the Mishnah, they would not accept this half shekel from them, and the end of this Mishnah will explain why. They also do not accept from the hands of non Jews, bird korbonis, which are bought by a Zov, who is a man who became Tome, with a very high degree of Tumor, the Kinezovis, or the bird korbonis of a Zova, who is a woman who also became very Tome, as a result of substances exiting their body, the Kinezovis the bird offerings which are bought by a woman who gives birth, the chatois, any carbon which is bought for having violated a sin, the ashomais, the carbon osham, which is another type of carbon which is bought for certain types of sins, avonodorim, unodovais, but voluntary carbonis, those things, mekalim yadan, those we do accept from non-Jews. The difference between a nader and a dova is that a nader is where somebody promises to bring a carbon to the Beis HaMikdash, but it doesn't specify which animal he's going to take. Whereas an adova is where he designates a specific animal to be as carbon. Be as it may, they are both voluntary, and voluntary carbonus we do accept even from non-Jews. As indeed the Mishnah continues, Zehaklal, this is the rule, Kol Shenidov Nidov. Anything which is either a nader or an adova, it's a voluntary carbon, Mikabin those we do accept from non-Jews, and it is learnt from a Pasuk, when referring to voluntary carbonus, it says Ish Ish. Every man, it repeats the word ish, and so we learn from there that it even applies to non-Jews. However, this is only said with regards to voluntary carbonus, and therefore obligatory carbonus, such as the carbon chatos, and also shkolim, which is obligatory, that we do not accept from a non-Jew. Anything which is not voluntary, we do not accept from the non-Jews. And also when it comes to the shkolim, the shkolim would be used to bring carbonus for the public. And that's considered to be a carbon of all of the Jews. So the non-Jews cannot contribute to that. The chenim of Fersh like the Ezra, and it is also explicitly said, 
through Ezra when they were rebuilding the second Beis HaMikdash, there were certain non-Jewish nations, including the Kusim, who said that they wanted to be part of the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. But the Pesach says, and there as the Pesach says, It is not for both you and us to build the house of our God. We ourselves would like to build the Beis HaMikdash ourselves, and you non-Jews do not have a part in that, and so that is a similar idea to what the Mishnah expressed until now. In certain situations when the machtis shekel, the half shekel contribution is given, as well as the half shekel, some money has to be added on as a kolboin. Now what exactly is a kolboin? So there's a discussion about what exactly the purpose of the kolboin was, but the way the Bartonura and the Rambam explain it is as follows. Around the time that the half shekels were being contributed, you can imagine that everybody wanted a half shekel. So the value of a half shekel coin went up because it was in much higher demand, more people wanted it, so the value of that half shekel coin went up in value. However, the value of a full shekel coin stayed the same as it had been, because people specifically wanted a half shekel coin. Because of that, when it comes to paying the machsa shekel to the money collectors, if somebody gave a full shekel coin, they wouldn't receive a half shekel coin as their change, because a half shekel coin was now worth more than half of a full shekel coin. So the money they would receive as the change would be worth slightly less than the value of a half shekel coin. Now if two people contributed their half shekels together, or let's say one person contributed it on behalf of somebody else, so instead of giving two half shekel coins, he gave one full shekel coin to cover both of them. However, it would emerge that he is actually giving less per person than what he would have given had he given two half shekel coins. Because as we said, the value of a full shekel coin is worth less than two half shekel coins. Because a half shekel coin is worth more than half of the full shekel coin. And so to make up for that difference, a kolboin had to be added. And according to this, the kolboin was added whenever a full shekel was given on behalf of two people instead of two half shekel coins. Another important thing to know before you begin the Mishnah is that if for whatever reason one of the people for whom the full shekel coin is being given is not obligated in the kolboin, we're going to see there are certain people who wouldn't be obligated to give a kolboin. So if even one of them is not obligated in the kolboin, then no kolboin has to be added for either of them. Rather, you would just give the full shekel coin and that would cover both of them. Says the mission of the following people will be obligated to add a kolboin, meaning if both of the people who were part of this full shekel contribution, if both of them were obligated, then they would add this kolboin. Levim, the Israelim, Megerim and converts, the Avadim Shacharim and non-Jewish slaves who had been freed. When a non-Jewish slave becomes free, he becomes like a fully-fledged Jew who must keep all of the mitzvahs. However, but not for Kayanim, if any of the two people for whom the full shekel was being given, if he was a Kayan, even one of them, then the Kolbun is not added. We learnt a similar exception which applies to Kayanim earlier on in the, in the Perak, and the main reason is this is a sort of reward for the Kayanim, so that the Kayanim don't get upset, because they feel they deserve something for serving in the Beit HaMikdash. As well as that, if either of the two people are Noshim, women, or non-Jewish slaves, or young people, under the age of 13 or possibly under the age of 20. So since these people are not even obligated to bring the shekel, so if they do voluntarily give it, so we don't add on any extra charge, we don't add on the extra kolbein, because even the machtas shekel they are not obligated to bring. As well as that, if somebody gives a machtas shekel on behalf of a kohen, 
Haide Isha, or on behalf of a woman, Haide Evid, on behalf of a non-Jewish slave, Haide Katan, or on behalf of a young person under the age of 13 or under the age of 20. They're referring to a case where he gave a full shekel on behalf of himself and somebody who is generally exempt. So once again, Potter, who will be exempt from bringing a Kolbein, since one of the two people for which the shekel is being given, is not obligated in the Machsa shekel, and by extension, he's not obligated in the Kolbein. However, when is he obligated in the Kolbein? If he gives a full shekel on behalf of himself and on behalf of somebody else who is obligated in the shekel, then he is obligated to add on one Kolbein to that contribution of the full shekel. Now, Rameir argues on the purpose of the Kolbein, at least according to the way we're going to understand Rameir's opinion. And Rameir understands that the purpose of the Kolbein is that you have to make sure that for every single half shekel which is given, you add on a little bit, so that you can be sure that the value which you are giving is at least the value of the half shekel which was given in the midbar the first time that the half shekels were given. And the Jewish people were counted at the beginning of Parashat Sissa, and Rimei learns this from the Posuk, which says, Yitznu, like this they shall give, which implies that for the future contributions of the Mahtasa Shekel, it had to be, they had to be sure that the Mahtasa Shekel which they were giving was at least worth as much as the Mahtasa Shekel which was in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu in the Midbar. And so because of that, Jimmy Meir says that automatically when everyone gives a Mahtasa Shekel, with it comes the obligation of giving a Kolbein. And so in this last case where one, somebody gives a full shekel on behalf of two people who are both obligated, Rabbi Meir says, Shnei they need to add on two kolboinais, one for each machzis shekel. Alright, now the Mishnah ends off with a case where even the Chachomim say that two kolboinais need to be added. And before we see this part of the Mishnah, it's worth remembering, it's quite confusing, but when the Mishnah refers to shekel, it really refers to the machzis shekel, to the half shekel. Whereas the term selah refers to a full shekel of the Torah. So the Machsa shekel of the Torah is a, is a shekel of the Mishnah, and a full shekel of the Torah is a sela of the Mishnah, just in terms of the terms which are used. So Hanosin Sela, one who gives a full shekel coin, Venotel Shekel, and he takes back a half shekel coin as his change, Chayosh he is obligated to give two Kolboinos, one Kolboin, as we explained, to make up for the difference in value, because if he is given back a half shekel coin, that's more than half of the value of the full shekel coin. So he has to pay a bit more to make up for that. And in this case, he has to give another Kolbein, because the money changer is helping him, he's exchanging money with him, and so for that, he is obligated to give another Kolbein. Mishnah Zayah, the Mishnah qualifies the previous Mishnah, and says that when is it the one has to add a Kolbein if he gives a full shekel on behalf of himself and somebody else. That's only if the part which he's doing on behalf of somebody else, he's not doing as a favor, rather he expects the other person to pay him back, and he's only doing it for him as a sort of loan. But if he's doing it as a total gift, and he's not expecting it to be repaid, so in this case the Chachamim were lenient, and they said that the Kolbein does not need to be added. Only if somebody gives a half shekel, on behalf of a poor person, so that means that he gives a full shekel, half on behalf of himself, and half on behalf of a poor person, and that is of course not alone, or he does it for his neighbor, or for some member of his city, some resident of his city, Potter is exempt because he is doing it as a favor, he's not being paid for this, and so the Chachomim were lenient. However, if he was doing it as a loan, and the other person is going to pay him back, 
Chayav, then he is obligated to add the Kolbein, because really that is like a case where two people are giving two half shekels just in one shekel piece. So there they have to add a Kolbein to make up for the difference in value, as we have explained. The second half of the Mishnah refers to brothers whose father dies and the inheritance falls to the sons, to all of these brothers together. And the way we're going to understand is that before the brothers have each individually taken their portion in the inheritance, so the inheritance is still there waiting for them to take hold of their own share, it is considered to be the possession of the person who died. Before the sons have taken hold of their individual shares, the inheritance is still considered to be the possession of the father who has died. However, once the brothers have taken their individual share, even if they then join together all again as one, and they become partners in all of the money, they're considered like any regular partner, and it is jointly owned by the sons, but no longer owned by the father. Now the Mishnah compares the status of these brothers with regards to the Kolbein to their status with regards to Meister Behemoth. Meister Behemoth refers to the obligation of separating one-tenth of one's animals. Every tenth animal he needs to separate and give that as a korban. And we're going to see that the halachas when it comes to these brothers are going to be the opposite for Meister Behemoth and the Kolbein. Because the halacha is, it's learned from a pasuk, that the obligation of Meister Behemoth only applies to animals which are owned by an individual. If the animals are jointly owned in a partnership, then the obligation of Meister Behemoth does not apply. On the other hand, when it comes to a Kolbein, if two people are bringing a one shekel, a full shekel, to fulfill both of their obligations in the Machsa shekel, so that is considered like two people are bringing it, and so certainly the obligation of a Kolbein would apply. So as Nisha says, Ha'achin v'ashutfin. Many Mishnayas read Ha'achin v'ashutfin. Brothers who are themselves partners, meaning we're referring to brothers who have inherited their father. So in a case where Shechayavim ba'kolbein, they are obligated to add a kolbein. If let's say two of the brothers give a full shekel piece for both of their obligations. So in a case where they are obligated to add a kolbein, and that is referring to the case where well, they took their individual shares and then joined up as a partnership after that. So they're just like every other partnership. They're just like every other two people who bring one shekel together and they do need to bring a kolbein. However, in the parallel case when it comes to Meister Behemoth, if the animal is jointly owned by two people, then Patrum and Meister Behemoth will be exempt from Meister Behemoth. On the other hand, in a case where they will be obligated in Meister Behemoth, so that will be referring to the case where the brothers had not yet taken their individual shares, so it was still considered to be owned by one person, sort of the father, so then it is obligated in Meister Behemoth, but in that case, if two of the brothers give a shekel, give a full shekel from that inheritance, so Patrum and Akolbein, they are exempt from adding a kolbein, because right now it is owned by the father. So we view it as if the father is sort of giving the shekel contribution on behalf of his children. Even though, of course, the children are giving it, since it comes from the father, and the father would perhaps usually give it on behalf of his children. So we also consider it to be as if somebody is giving it on behalf of somebody else. And as we learned, if somebody gives a half shekel on behalf of somebody else, and he does not expect to be paid for it, so he's doing a favor for the other person, so then the obligation of Kolbein does not apply. Alright, and the Peric ends off by asking the Chamhu Kolbein, how much exactly is a Kolbein worth? Mo'o Kesef, 124th of a Sela, of a full shekel coin. So for each half shekel coin, it will be 112th of a Sela, of the full shekel coin. That is the opinion of Meir. It will be half of that, 148th of a shekel. So for each half shekel coin, he would add 124th of its value onto it, and that is the value of the Kolbein according to the Chachomim. 
per base mission Aleph, after all of the half shekel coins had been collected in a particular city, it will be quite impractical to transport all of the half shekel coins from there all the way to Yerushalayim. And so instead, when Tzorfin Shkolon Darkonos, they were allowed to exchange the half shekel coins onto Darkonos, which are gold coins, worth more, because of carrying on the journey to make it easier. Even though this does lead to a risk that the gold coins will go down in value relative to the value of the silver coins. Nevertheless, we're not concerned that the value will change so much, and so you can just take out the gold coins to Rushalayim. Next part of the Mishnah, just like there were boxes which were shaped a bit like a chauffeur, in that they were wide at the bottom and narrower at the top, and the purpose of these boxes was for collecting money, and we'll learn later on in the Masechta that there were 13 of these in the base Hamikdash. Says the Mishnah, so too, there were these sort of boxes in the city of Yerushalayim itself, where one could put his half shekel into the box. Or the person who brings all of the half shekels from another city could put it into this box when he gets to Yerushalayim. Now what happens if B'nei Ha'ir, the members of a city, they send all of their half shekel coins with a particular messenger, he's transporting all of them up to Yerushalayim, but the money gets stolen or lost. So we're going to understand that the case is where the messenger is not being paid to bring it up to Yerushalayim, and therefore he is known as a Shomer Chinam, somebody who is looking after something on behalf of somebody else, and not being paid to do so. And the halach is that if something is stolen or lost from him, then he is not obligated to pay the original owners for the item, as long as he swears that he didn't use it for his own benefit, that he didn't steal it for himself, and that he looked after it properly, so if he does swear, then he will be exempt from paying. The question is, to who does he swear? The answer is, it depends. If Nisrima Truma, if the Trumas Halishka had already occurred, and as we'll learn later on in the next Perek, the Trumas Halishka refers to when they would actually take the half-shekel coins from these chests. So if this particular city's coins get stolen or lost, after the Trumas Halishka, then Nishpoin Lagizborin, this messenger needs to swear to the treasurers of the Beis Hamikdash that it wasn't his fault and that he didn't use it himself, and that way he won't need to pay. The reason why he has to swear to them is because once the Trumas Halishka occurred, all of the half shekels belonged to the Beis Hamikdash already from then. Even if they hadn't yet been put into the chest, let's say, the Trumas Halishka declared that all of the half shekels belonged to the Beis Hamikdash. However, Imlav, if not, meaning if it got stolen or lost before the Trumas Halishka occurred, then Ishbalim Nehoir, they would swear to the residents of the city, because it's considered to still belong to them, and so he needs to swear to them that it wasn't his fault, and so he does not need to pay them. And in that case, of Nehoir, Shoklin Tachtehen, the residents of the city would actually have to send another half shekel each person because their original one was lost or stolen before the Trumas Halishka occurred. Now what happens if they designate another half shekel each person and then Nimtzu? The original half shekels are found. Or the thieves return them. So now each person designated two half shekelim. So the halach is just like with all carbonates and anything which you designate to the Beis Hamikdash. Once you've designated it, it's too late. It is already sanctified. Elu elu shkalim. They are both considered to be shkalim. And furthermore, they do not count for the following year. They cannot keep the second collection until the following year because these were separated for this year's shkalim. And they are totally invalid for next year's shkalim.